Hello and welcome to the AMA Update video and podcast. Today we're talking about the Gold Card Act, federal legislation that would help fix prior authorization, what it means for physicians and their patients. Here with me to discuss the act is Representative Michael Burgess, a physician and congressman from Texas who is joining us from Washington, D.C. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Representative Burgess, it's an honor to have you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for having me on. Well, earlier this year, you introduced legislation H.R. 4698, better known as the Gold Card Act of 2023, into Congress, along with Representative Vincente Gonzalez, also from Texas. Uh, Before we get into the details of that legislation, let's start by talking about how prior authorization impacts patients. Well, prior authorization only slows down the delivery of care and properly applied, it's actually not going to stop the care from being delivered. It's just going to make it more difficult. And I suppose if you were cynical, you could say that uh, the patient may give up or drop out because the the process has become too onerous. But when you look at the, in the grand scheme of things, if the care is medically indicated, assume that it is, if the care is medically necessary, then the payor, in this case, uh, CMS at the federal government, should not be getting in between the doctor and the patient. That serves no one's benefit. And in fact, in the long run, really doesn't save the government money. There's so many stories that we hear of this barrier to care. Is there any one story that kind of sticks out in your mind? Well, I can recall going to talk to a group of orthopedists several years ago, and the competitive joint bundle had just kind of come on the scene. And there was no question in talking to those docs. They were they were delivering great care. They were doing the right thing by their patients. And at the same time, CMS had interjected another layer of bureaucracy in between really what seemed to be good medical care and necessary care that the patient's it, it only slowed things down. Again, it didn't stop anyone from getting a joint replacement. It just made it harder for them to achieve it. You're the rare combination uh, of physician and congressman. I'm curious what you hear from your physician colleagues about the burdens of prior authorization. Well, prior authorization, of course, gets added to the other list of burdens that everyone in private practice or uh, uh, private practice of medicine well understands. It is, you know, it's not going to be the straw that broke the camel's back, but it's just, it's such an unnecessary step. And I think really through some of the, some of the hearings we've had at the committee level, we've shown that it really doesn't, it it doesn't save government money. It is, the care is still going to be delivered. The care was still indicated. The care was still medically necessary. And here's something that uh, I'll tell you that I've pursued, and I have not gotten an answer from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. What is the cost of the care delayed? What is the cost of the care denied? Presumably there is there is also a cost if someone needs a joint replacement and they're delayed in getting it. What has that cost the patient? What does it cost the practice that's involved? And what does it cost the payer, in this case, Medicare? And that's a great question. Well, let's talk about the Gold Card Act. Tell us a little bit about how this would relieve some of the challenges for physicians and patients. Well, it's, uh, 
actually give, give full credit, this was a concept that was developed in the state of Texas. It's a, a bill that actually passed the Texas state legislature a, a, a term or two ago. As you know, Texas legislature only meets every other year. Um, but the concept was, oh, look, here's the, here's the proposition, and we've all heard this, I don't know how many times, 10% uh, of the people are causing 90% of the problems. And, you know, by and large, that's true in almost any situation. This kind of turns that around and say, hey, if you're one of the 90% that is doing everything right and by the book and your your procedures are, all, are, are always approved or 90% of the time approved, you don't need to keep going through this process. We're going to trust you that the next case will be just as indicated as the last case. So that was the concept behind the gold card. And it in fact has passed the Texas legislature. One of the things I'm trying to keep a close eye on is now that we're two or three years into the implementation at a state level, how, how has it done? What are some of the problems that they've encountered? And what are some things that we might do to anticipate that if we, if we begin to implement it at the federal level? But as you point out, the bill has been introduced. It's been a bipartisan bill. Myself and Vincent e. Gonzalez down in Brownsville uh, have, have introduced this bill, both having experience with the, the bill at the level of the Texas legislature. And quite honestly, uh, I, I get a lot of positive reinforcement from doctors that say, yeah, sure, we don't, we don't think it should be necessary anyway for us to go through this prior authorization process. But look, if you could just look at our history, and see that we've been conforming all along. There's no reason to uh, to keep reinventing the wheel on this. I mean, the logic of the way that you lay that out makes so much sense, and that's why the AMA and other healthcare organizations are largely in favor of gold carding as a component of prior authorization reform. You talked a little bit about you know the experience that's happening down in Texas. When you think about stumbling blocks and barriers to getting the legislation passed at a federal level, what are those? Well, it's 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 largely on the on the implementation side. <laughs> Look, we've all had experience with the No Surprises Act and the uh, uh, Department of Health and Human Services and how they interpret congressional intent, which was in completely at cross purposes of what the Congress passed. So we know that there can be implementation problems. In in Texas, the again we're only a couple of years into the experience, so it does I think behoove us to to watch what happens at the state level, but uh, are there places where it, it seems to work better than others? And are there ways that we can streamline the process and, and make it even a little bit less burdensome for, for physicians, make the collection of data uh, automatic, and not something that, that someone has to actually collect and submit, but make it automatic through an automated claims process? There are, there are things that can be done to make it more straightforward. Absolutely. Uh, again, back to your unique perspective of being a physician. How's that helped you address the roadblocks that you run into as a lawmaker? Well, look, it's, uh, it was a long time that I, that I practiced, and uh, it has been a few years since I've been in active clinical practice. And I know some things have changed since that time, but a lot of things are just still the same as, as they were then. I'll, I'll never forget a day I was at my in my office seeing patients and uh, the front desk said, we've got your mother on the telephone. Well, my gosh, my mother never calls me in, in my office when I was in practice. Oh, what the heck could be going wrong? And I, I figured it was some 
problem in the family. And she gets on the phone and she said, do you take Medicare? And I said, uh, uh, yes, mom, I, I always have and I always will. And she said, well, good. Don't ever let me hear that you're turning down Medicare patients because I'm tired of hearing from my friends that their doctors won't see them anymore. So, if you know, kind of that's what started me down the path of investigating things like at the time we had the sustainable growth rate formula, some of the things that were obstacles to physicians continuing to see their long-term patients that had now transitioned into Medicare. And while, you know, I don't think my mom understood that I was in an OBGYN practice and uh, I didn't have a large number of Medicare patients, I still had some. And uh, by the intent of my practice was we would never turn a patient away simply because uh, they had a federal payer. Uh, what a, that's a, such a great story. Um, tell us a little bit more about where the federal legislation currently stands and the next steps. Well, the, uh, the bigger bill, probably the more important bill that everyone's focused on right now is the Patient Timely Access to Care Act. And that's the bigger sort of prior, prior authorization that would require the collection of data from electronic medical records and make the submission automatic and uh, not not make it quite so burdensome for the, the physician and for their office. Look, we all know we've got a significant manpower problem in the, in the practice of medicine. And to the extent that we tie docs up with making them do paperwork or busy work, or to the extent that we drive productive physicians out of their practice because they just see the federal government as being an existential threat to them continuing in practice. Uh, we got to stop that sort of stuff. We've got to stop making the environment so hostile for the practicing physician. And I know there are plenty of people within the halls of Congress who look at the situation and say, hey, you know what, we'll be a lot better off when uh, we don't have private practice docs, when everybody's in, a, in an ACO or everybody's taken care of by a mid-level. But honestly, you need the private practice of medicine. We are the ones, us, the doctors who are in, the, in, in individual practices and in small group practices, we are the ones that are the advocates for the patient. If you work for the government, you're going to be an advocate for the government. If you work for an insurance company or work for a hospital, you're going to be an advocate for the insurance company or the hospital. If you work for the patient, if your contract, your obligation is directly to the patient, then that's to whom you are you are obligated. And the, the entire system will lose and not be as responsive to the needs of the patient, regardless of where they get their care, if you don't have the, the influence of doctors who are in the private practice of medicine. Medicine doesn't stand still, and at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash moving medicine. You have any message for the physicians out there about how they might help you get this act passed? Well, when you talk to your members of Congress, and you should, by the way, if you're not, uh, you should talk to your members of Congress. And that doesn't necessarily mean coming up to Washington. Of course, the AMA has, their, has the fly-ins that you all do every year and they're important. And that's certainly before I began my political career, that was a place where I always tried to participate myself. But even 
if you're not going to uh, uh, be able to do that, you can still visit with your member of Congress or your senator. You've got two senators and one member of Congress in each congressional district, and you can reach out and schedule a time to go in and talk to your member of Congress about whatever problem you want to address. And I'd certainly appreciate bringing up the gold card concept because I, it's one that if we can get a, a, enough co-sponsors on the bill, then we can get it to move in the legislative process. Right now, there's so many things that sort of compete for attention. As, as former Speaker Newt Gingrich used to say, the up here, it, it's so chaotic that the, uh, the urgent drives up the important. So make it important to your member of Congress. Go visit with them. Perhaps take a patient or two with you. Don't make it all about doctors and, and how Congress is making our lives tougher, but how it's how it's affecting the care of the patient and why it's important to 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 continue to have that that doctor-patient relationship play the the significant role that it does. And the the best thing about seeing your member of Congress when they're home on a, what's called a district work period or one of the longer breaks like Fourth of July or Memorial Day month of August, um, there's not as many things that are competing for the members' time and attention. <clears throat> and we're all familiar with, we come up to Congress, we do big fly-in and, and we've got a visit schedule with our member of Congress, taking time off of our, our practice, taking time away from our family, incurred the expense of coming up here, flying up here and staying in a hotel. And then when the big moment comes, uh, you're about to go into the member's office and a buzzer goes off and a bell rings and, uh, oh my gosh, there's a vote on the floor and the member of Congress has to run out of the office and and go uh, go tend to whatever the, the legislative issue of the day is. Well, you don't have that interference in the, in the member's office in the district. And every member of Congress does have at least one district office and they can uh, entertain constituents, visitors, uh, uh, doctors and patients count as constituents. It's possible to set that time up well in advance. Don't wait till the, the week before Memorial Day and say, hey, I wonder if I can catch him uh, well, next next week while he's home. Set it up um, significantly in advance. And again, choose choose wisely. Maybe more than one doc comes in. But uh, you know, it doesn't hurt to have more patients than doctors in the group that's bringing this issue to the attention of the member of Congress. And that can be so powerful. And I just, I would tell people, don't discount the individual meetings that can take place home in the district. They're equally as important as the, the meetings that take place during a big fly-in with your specialty society or with the AMA itself. That's great advice. Uh, Representative Burgess, thank you so much for joining us today and for all the work that you're doing on behalf of physicians and patients. I think all the listeners out there uh, can understand based on this conversation how important the perspective of a physician is uh, to have in Congress. Uh, so it's really, really meaningful. That's it for today's episode. Uh, fixing prior authorization is part of the AMA recovery plan for America's physicians. Learn more about our work at ama-assn.org recovery. We'll be back soon with another AMA update. In the meantime, you can find all our videos and podcasts at ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thanks for joining us today. Please take care. <laughs>